and welcome to Open World Chat. I'm John Odom, and my co-host Chip Nandino and I are currently off on a mission of uh, national security. So instead of having a new episode, we're pulling one from the vault, back from when my co-host was Leanne Allen. This is one of our first episodes. We have Margot Harrison, who's a film critic for the Burlington, Vermont News Weekly Seven Days. And we talk about this idea of the quote-unquote strong female character, a term that has evolved over the generations and involving characters that are usually written by men. Obviously, since we focus on genre stuff, we cover the Ellen Ripley's, we cover the Sarah Connors, but it gets a little broader and deeper than that. Uh, Margot was a terrific guest, and the first thing I asked her was, basically, is this strong female character thing just a frequent happenstance combination of words, or is it a genuine Hollywood trope? Definitely. I noticed that there actually is a Wikipedia entry for strong female character that kind of brings together some of the controversy that there's been around this term, um, including it, it often it seems like it's often something that people are critiquing that that women critics are saying, um, you know, it's great to, to try to have these strong w- women characters, but look at these problems that that have been caused, or maybe people have too narrow an idea of it. Or so I think I think it's often you know there's a lot of debate about this. So as a critic who has been obviously following generally the genre from sort of an outside perspective, with this trope, do you see the same stereotypes showing up over and over again, or does it change from one decade to the next? Um, do, do you see patterns? Uh, do you see sort of a pendulum back and forth? What, what, do you, what have you observed? Definitely it changes from decade to decade. And I think what most people agree on is that There was a time in the golden age of Hollywood, maybe 30s, 40s, when there were a lot of strong women characters in what they called back then women's pictures. Um, These were not really, these were sort of like dramas. And we're talking about people like Barbara Stanwyck in noir movies, Betty Davis, Joan Crawford. These women really commanded the screen and the stories were all about them. The male characters were sort of relegated to the role of love interests in these movies. So women characters um, were really important back then and were allowed to have a lot of complexity. They could be villainous as well as heroic. But around the late 60s and 70s, in what a lot of critics think of as the golden age of cinema generally, and especially auteur cinema, movies became a lot more male-dominated. And I mean, I mean, women directors were never a thing back in the golden age of Hollywood. But in the 70s, the movies themselves became more about men. You know, Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, Easy Rider is basically all guys. And that that was sort of the ethos of the time. You do have some good female characters, but, you know, it's it, it doesn't really change, I think, until, well, people would argue maybe around with Alien And the character of Ripley being a very strong character who is kind of iconic. And interestingly, she was originally written as a man, but director Ridley Scott decided to, he decided it would be more interesting to have a woman in this position. Hmm. I did not know that. That's fascinating. Yeah, Yeah. it's interesting that you bring that up because one of my observations for the strong female character, as it seems to be currently understood, is 
basically you write the script for a guy and you stick a woman in the role <laughs> and then you've got a strong female character. Um, so it's interesting that that's real for aliens. Yeah, I saw, I found a whole Vanity Fair article where they there's a whole list that, of movies that were originally written for a male character and then, then it was turned into a female character. And surprise, surprise, it was a complex, strong female character because apparently a lot of screenwriters write more complexity in, in their male characters, which is kind of a sad testament to how things are in Hollywood. But it's nice that these characters got to be female characters. How much do you think that that is because the writers tend to be male? So they don't seem to understand how to write for female characters as well? Or do you see that? I think that it, that definitely plays a role. I mean, I mean, that's changing gradually, and we're definitely seeing more female screenwriters. I think tropes also play a role. Like, even when it is uh, a woman writing, writing, sometimes she'll get pulled in by these tropes and expectations, and studio notes probably play a big role, too. Like the, the the big the executives saying we don't we want this character to you know be be softer because because it's a woman character. I mean, I notice interesting things like the movie Salt, which is an action movie starring Angelina Jolie, originally was planned as a Tom Cruise vehicle about a man, and in the in that version of it, he had children. But when they changed it to a woman, they got rid of the children because you can't have a woman action hero who also has kids at home that makes her soft and action heroes can't be soft. So you see that there really is a double standard, even in a fairly recent movie. That's interesting, which immediately makes me think of the um, animated movie, the Incredibles, because that seems to be able to break that trope. You know, she's a mom and she's a person who's female and feminine, but at the same time, she's also a strong character. But that's a light and funny movie too. It is, yes. So I mean, they—it's—it's it's safe to play with that stuff. I'm wondering, even going back to the uh, to the '40s um, that you were talking about, but really every stage along the way where this idea gets expanded, even if it gets a little crude, that there always does seem to be a cap thus far and no further. And I think you know the salt kind of was isn't exactly what I mean by that, but it's 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 still it sort of alludes to it. It's like okay, we'll, we'll make you strong and tough, but we're going to dial back on this original idea because that, that crosses the cap. I'm wondering how, how that's changed and how that does change and if we're ever going to get rid of that. Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think the issue of children and whether a woman character can be shown as having children we have now had movies that are like the female death wish or the female taken. Like there was this movie Peppermint where um, Jennifer Garner played a woman whose family was killed and then she kicks a lot of ass to avenge them. But I have a feeling that there's still a resistance to showing a woman who has children that she should be at home taking, taking, taking care of, you know, doing all this action stuff. There's, there's a resistance to that. Yeah. Probably that, that, that was. I noticed that you just used the word should. Right. I don't believe that, but I think I think a lot of people still do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that that plays a big part, especially probably with the studios. Um, yeah, because there yeah. are audience members who would probably react negatively to that. Like, why? Why isn't she taking care of her kids? You know, who's who's with the kids? Yep. 
It's um, definitely disappointing you bring up such a recent movie too, you know. Like to uh, like to think we're doing a little better, but that's sort of Yeah. I mean, it's great that we finally had we finally had a couple of huge vehicles for woman superheroes. I mean, there's been a lot of talk about the Wonder Woman movies and Captain Marvel over on the Marvel side and it's I think it's great that we have those, but it's it's amazing that it took this long for it to happen. And I think it really was because people were worried that no one would buy tickets to see a woman superhero. That's that's an interesting point too, because with with Marvel, you had a, a change of creative control. You know, you had the the basically the the person who ran the entire Marvel operation, including the comics, Ike Perlmutter, who was you know famously impossible to find. He was like this mythical being. There weren't even photographs of him and. There had been, I mean, decades between public photographs and still he started, until he started popping up at uh, Donald Trump fundraisers at Mar-a-Lago. It's like, oh, look, we caught him. But he was famously eccentric, but also very famously, we will not have a women lead in any of our movies. He was also, we will, we will not ever have a, you know, non-white male lead at all, period, because he was absolutely flat out. Nobody will, Nobody will go see those. And then you had the, the the change. They go to Disney. Kevin Feige kind of goes around his back and gets sole control of the of the films. And you see it start changing very, very quickly, which makes me wonder how much of this is such a generational thing. You know, you hit walls. I mean, maybe, maybe we're at a wall now that's not going to fall away, not just until more women are making these movies, but until the men who are get to be a different generation. Maybe. I mean, I I think there's still a lot of resistance. I mean, there's still a lot of fear that women will go see a movie that is about a man, but not vice versa. I don't really know if that's, I hope that's changing generationally, but I know that in the book world, every time there's a discussion about this, there are still a lot of men who say, no, I would not read a book by a woman, or that's, that's just not something that really interests me. Um, whereas women are all reading books by men or, you know, both. So I don't know, but it's true that, I mean, the Hunger Games movies did really well. That That's a female-led franchise. And I know that when I was sitting in the theater getting ready to watch them, there was like a little boy who was telling his mother or father all about the books. So clearly he'd been reading them. He was invested in this franchise, even though there was a female lead. And I found, I did find that encouraging. Yeah, speaking as a mother of two who are now in their early 20s, I do seem to see a generational shift in that attitude. You know, my son is far into geek world as one can possibly get. He's an AI engineer. (laughs) And for him, there wasn't even a thought. It's just, oh, this is a cool movie. I'm going to go see it. Um, Oh, maybe that's just good parenting. Well, Pat yourself on the back. (laughs) But he's a pretty independent kid, so who knows? It's an sign. Yeah, yeah. I, I see, you know, he and his friends will go see whatever as long as it seems like it's a good movie, and especially if it's a, a geeky enough movie, it has to at least have, you know, either superheroes or things that blow up a lot or whatever, but they don't seem to care whether or not it's a female-led or male-led movie, so hopefully. That's great. Yeah. That's great. I'm thinking of the term chick flick. When does that end up in the dustbin of history? (laughs) 
Well, the thing about the so-called chick flicks is that they like they got cut out of theaters completely. I mean, they still exist, but only on streaming or practically only. When I started reviewing movies in 07, you could still see romantic comedies getting released almost every week with female leads. And now, you know, the theaters are dominated by blockbusters and franchise movies and the romantic comedies are on Netflix. So there's, I mean, the the actual thing still exists, but hopefully people will st- stop calling or are, st- are not calling them chick flicks anymore. <laughs> so... Let's see. Out, out of uh, the movies that you've seen recently, are there any that seem to be uh, more of a seed toward a future where strong female characters are more well-rounded? I mean, you know, we, we've had the superhero females you know, as leads, etc., but are they still a little bit one-dimensional? Do you see anything that's looking like we're going to have more complexity and more real characters? Yeah, I'm trying to think of, well, there are things like The Old Guard, which technically is a superhero movie. It, it, it's a Netflix thing, I think, but with Charlize Theron playing a, 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 a superhero who is kind of, she's immortal and she's been through so much and she's just jaded and weary and resigned. And that was an interesting character, I thought. The point of the movie, it wasn't like, oh, um, oh, wow, a female superhero. It's, it was, it was more like, what is it like to be, to have to live so long and fight all these bad guys and just to have to ch- try to rediscover your mojo again. And then she was contrasted with a younger woman who also had superpowers. There were also, you know, super, uh, superpowered men in the movie. So it's not like it was all female. But the main dynamic was between these two women. And that I thought was really great, just as as a sign for the future. Nice. Does it pass the Bechdel test? <laughs> I would say so, yes. <laughs> yeah, they, these women definitely talked about many different subjects. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And they had names. <laughs> yeah, yes. <laughs> I mean, it wasn't my favorite movie of the year, but I like where 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 the, where things are going with that. Yeah, it's been interesting to watch as a as a big you know genre nut, enough of a nut that you know I wanted to be involved in a podcast about it, right? But how the the horror genre, how you start seeing so many. I mean, just the genre in, in general is, is, is really having a, having a heyday. But so many of the new horror filmmakers are women. And there is a place that needed some serious improvement in the way women are represented. And I, it's, I don't know if you follow much in that genre, but it's been, uh, it's been an extraordinary thing to, to watch. I'm a big horror fan. Um, and it's interesting because, yeah, like horror movies have always been criticized for being sort of exploitive and especially slashers. And that's certainly true, you know, treating female characters in unsavory ways. But at the same time, there's this tradition of the final girl where it's always a woman who survives to the end of the movie. I mean, you could say that of Ripley and Alien, Jamie Lee Curtis in Halloween so in a way, weirdly, those were some of the only movies that had female leads during that period when there weren't a, lot, weren't a lot of them. So I think it's great that women directors are getting involved in this now. And I, I'm trying, I'm trying to think of a good example because I may not have seen a whole lot of them, but 
But also, of course, there are some great roles for women in horror, like like Tony Collette in Hereditary does an amazing acting job. Definitely a complex character, or Florence Pugh in Midsummer. Those are those are two of my favorite horror movies from the past few years, so I'm a little bit biased. Yeah, I, I like that it sort of has, at least in those two, they kind of left out that whole trope of the woman in high heels running away from the bad guy, <laughs> tripping, dropping her car keys. <laughs> it's like it's like that had to be just copied and pasted from one script to another for about a decade. <laughs> and it was nice yes. to not see that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think we're I think we're getting away from that a little bit, which is definitely good. Um, and you know, you can have characters who are human and have flaws without being incompetent or doing things that a regular person just wouldn't do, like going down to that dark basement where, you know, there's something bad lurking. (laughs) Does does it help in that genre? I mean, does it create more opportunities as, you know, the, the idea of victimhood is there and, you know, the, in, in so many movies, the, the woman being the victim, but in, in horror, everybody's a victim. Right. It almost, you, you almost skip that whole problem entirely or is yeah. that, does that ring true? Yeah. I mean, horror is kind of, I think it's in a way it's a nihilistic genre because yeah, it doesn't present a rosy view of the world at all. Usually even the person who escapes at the end, often there's a teaser at the end or, you know, a, a sort of a little scene where the, the monster pops up again, like at the end of uh, Nightmare on Elm Street or something. So you have this idea that the evil just repeats itself over and over. So yeah, I think horror is a sort of an exploration of all human beings as victims. And it requires you to empathize with the victims, whether they're male or female. And often horror can be a way to show more vulnerability in male characters as well. Yeah, that's true. They, usually, you in any other genre, you see the men almost exclusively being, you know, cold, hard, strong, you know, something, but it's never vulnerable. And that seems to be the only genre that really allows for that, which is interesting. It requires it. I yeah. Would say. Yep. So. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, whoever the cold, hard action hero character is, they have to get killed off early in the movie so that they can rescue everybody else. <laughs> In a horror movie, that is. Yeah. It seems like as more women get involved, too, and, and, you know, this should be, probably is, but should be applied to to really every category. Horror is becoming more sophisticated. It's it's not just same old stuff with different characters. I mean, I think of a movie like The Babadook, which, and I cannot remember the director's name. I cannot remember her name. I I don't I don't know. We'll go with that. <laughs> but I mean that engaged it, it when all was said and done with the supernatural, you know, terror in in a really unique way. That end was um I, I don't know what to compare it to in terms of how the, the, the evil in the end is dealt with. Yeah, it was controversial, but it really worked for me. And I think that's a good example of a character. I mean, the the central female character in that is allowed to have so many shadings. I mean, she is allowed sometimes to have even negative feelings toward her child and just frustration with him um, and grief and and all kinds of other emotions. Yeah, yeah, that's huge. You never, ever, ever 
Um, unless it's like Mommy Dearest, <laughs> right? where it's exploring a woman as an evil human being. It's you're never allowed to see a woman who doesn't feel like their child is, you know, the most perfect entity in the existence and in all of history. And so that, that is actually very interesting. Yeah, it's 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 just it's nice to see more of these shadings because I think traditionally people have seen a strong female character as somebody who is flawless, um, you know, a superhero, an action hero, someone who just didn't have, couldn't be an anti-hero, couldn't have human shadings. And, and that was a problem because it kind of, it produced a lot of boring characters, at least from my point of view. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and if you go way back to say the Catherine Hepburn era, she could have flaws, but the flaws were basically that she was too independent. <laughs> right. So she made up for it in the end by falling for, you know, whichever guy she was supposed to be falling for. Right, right. And yeah, and that was another trope. You know, they had the headstrong woman who had to learn that it was still important to get married and stuff like that. <laughs> right. <laughs> that one pops up a lot in, in science fiction, too, about that was so often, you know, 60s, 70s science fiction's version of trying to speak to uh, women was the, you know, being on the bridge, but also you're going to leave to make a family someday. So, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. And I have to say one of two of my favorite strong female characters from the past 20 years or so were were on Battlestar Galactica, the, the new version. I like the fact that there are, you know, there are two of them. And one of them was originally a male character who was turned into a female female character. And that's pretty clear. You know, she's Starbuck. She acts in a lot of stereotypically male ways, but she's still a good character, I think, and well acted. But what I really like is that there's also this character of Laura Roslin, the president, who is flawed in so many ways. I mean, she is a politician and she has to make so many compromises. She's always trying to do the wrong, the right thing, but not always with success. So just seeing a woman in that position and she's middle aged, you know, having a, a major role on a sci fi show, that to me meant a lot. I really liked that. Yep, that's huge. Yep. Between her and um, Janeway in Star Trek Voyager, those, I think, are really the only two, unless you go back to, say, Lost in Space, <laughs> right, where you've got the mom. Um, but she was clearly relegated to the role of a mom, whereas, you know, in this case, these two are both in leading positions and they're lead actors and, you know, they're doing interesting things and it's not all around being a mom. Right. I heard a cat. Oh, yeah, sorry. That's that's my cat. <laughs> she she demands attention sometimes. <laughs> as, as do all good cats. As do all people. As everybody who doesn't want attention sometimes. So dare I pull out the geekiest question of all? The geek not question. The geekiest top potential line of conversation of all. I am interested in the idea of comparing and contrasting, since it's a multi-generational franchise, the quote-unquote strong women characters in the Star Wars franchise. You've got, you, you know, over the, over the years, you've got Leia, then you've got Padme, then you've got Jin in, um, uh, you know, the little in-between one there. Why can't I think of its name? Rogue One. Oh, okay. Right. Jin from Rogue One. And then uh, Ray in the most recent 
trilogy such as it was. Wow. Yeah, that's I mean, I grew up with Princess Leia, so she was pretty huge for me as a kid. She had, you know, she had spunk, she had spirit. Um, So yeah, that when I was eight, that was like the definition of a strong female character. (laughs) And it's hard because, you know, having seen the later movies as an adult, I don't think I have the same connection with them. And I definitely see that Ray is allowed to have complexities that, you know, Princess Leia didn't really have. But I personally don't connect as much with her in that particular performance. But I think it's great that, you know, she's she's there and she she's allowed to be a Jedi and she's she's got action figures. That's definitely <laughs> progress. <laughs> yeah, Leia definitely seemed I, to have be one of these characters like, OK, you can be tough, but, you know, there's a cap. Thus far, you gotta wear the white dress. Mm-hmm. Right. You don't get yep. to be the Jedi. <laughs> yeah, and even I, though she was a Jedi. <laughs> right, right. Well, that did they did that become a thing in the most recent trilogy? Yeah, it only to a point, but um, but yeah, she was yeah. allowed to have a little of that going on. Well, right, it, it was alluded to, but it wasn't really a primary driver of the character even in the final episode. Well, we saw her flying through space and doing her little force <laughs> thing to stay right. alive and so you know there there was it was more than alluded to but still it was um you know that was a tough for them i think because they wanted to respect what had passed you know in the sense that she wasn't the one who ran off to be jedi master she was you know general organa yeah i mean i have not seen the last movie in the final trilogy. So I actually don't know where Ray's arc ended up, but I will soon enough. <laughs> you know, I saw the last movie and I'm not sure I knew where it ended up either. So <laughs> <laughs> agreed. Not a fan, not a fan. All right. Also- so, well, jumping forward. What about Padme? Did you watch those movies? Did you watch the, uh, the prequel trilogy? I saw, I saw the second two. I think I avoided the Phantom Menace and, yeah, I was just not feeling Padme. I'm not sure. I think they they tried to make her a strong character. I guess that there's no <laughs> not working for me generally. <laughs> that, that might be about the best summary. <laughs> she was, but she also didn't really exist. Like she was there, but she wasn't really there. You know, most of the movie revolved around other things and then she'd kind of make an appearance that seemed kind of wedged in and then she was gone again and other things were happening. And, yeah, so, well, did she have any agency at all? You know, Leia had agency no. and certainly Jin in Rogue One had zero yeah. agency. That whole movie was about her walking through it and, you know, the things that happened to her and what people did around her. So that seems like a big backslide there because Padme may seem the same way. I, I mean, Stuff just happened to her. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the thing she's, I mean, she had this whole identity as a politician, but the thing she's most famous for is being the mother of Luke and Leia. So ultimately it seemed like that subsumed everything else and, and dying, of course. Right. <laughs> dying of a broken heart, no <laughs> less. Yes. <laughs> Speaking of tropes. <laughs> yes. That, that basically was her cap, if you think about it. I mean, she was this supposedly independent human being who was, you know, a politician, who was a ruler, who was a leader. And yet, in the end, <laughs> it all came down to the love of a man. <laughs> right. 
Bring us right back to Catherine Hepburn. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I still prefer the fanfic version of the prequels that I wrote when I was 15 years old. (laughs) She was a stronger character in that version. (laughs) (laughs) Fanfic gets a lot of clicks, you know? Oh, you have no idea. That's right. Well, it only exists like typed on a ma- on a manual typewriter on onion skin paper. Oh man, <laughs> that was a long time ago. <laughs> Even better, it's classic fan. It's legacy fanfic. Then, so. <laughs> right. <laughs> I think I, I entered in a, in a, in a uh, Bantha Tracks contest, which was the Star Trek uh, Star Wars fan club at the time. <laughs> Never heard back. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's terrible. Well, you can start your own now. Right. Even steal the name, right? All right. So of all of the movies that you have seen with a strong female character, if you had to tell everybody listening to this, you know, you've got to see this one movie to understand what a, a strong female character really should be, or even TV show, whatever. You know, what would you recommend? Oh, I don't, I'm not sure that would be a tough one. Cause I feel like you need, you would need to do it by genre. Mm-hmm. I think the characters that I've connected the most with were not really genre characters. They were more um, sort of like just straight drama characters or in the indie movies, but there have definitely been characters over the years, you know, like Dana Scully in the X-Files. She was really important for me. Um, just in terms of having shadings as well as being smart and, you know, strong. I think, I mean, in, in detective fiction, we've seen some good characters. Wow. It's really hard for me to think of a single one that I would pick out as exemplary because, but maybe that's kind of the point. I don't know that we need to have an array of different characters who allow us to sort of explore different aspects. I mean, I really personally like anti-hero characters who who actually do actively bad things at times. And I don't know if we've ever had a female character who was quite who was like Walter White in Breaking Bad, like who went who was allowed to go quite that far. I would love to see that though, if that if that happens. But I think we're kind of edging a little bit closer to that. I wonder, um, you know, science fiction sees itself, defines itself as so progressive, forward thinking. And yet, you know, it's always been so dominated by fanboys, often a generation behind, you know, they really want to pickle what they do. They don't want to change. So you think is science fiction going to be the last genre to get uh, caught up with uh, where things should be? Oh, wow. I don't know. I mean, I think in terms of written science fiction, in terms of literature, it's it's actually totally caught up. I mean, I, I'm not an expert. I don't read that much science fiction. But the impression I'm getting is that there are a lot of strong female characters and characters who defy the, the boundaries of gender altogether. Um, and there's been some backlash to that, but, but it's still going strong, you know, having these very interesting characters who are not all white males. Mm-hmm. So how much of it, that's coming from the, the women writers, which, uh, you know, you see it's stuff like the Hugo awards where there's almost a schism that's almost right. down gender lines. It's extraordinary. Yeah. Yeah. So there's, yeah. So there's that backlash. 
But then I guess you look at what's being made into movies and it's a much smaller, well, you have something like Arrival, which based on a short story by a man, but has a very strong female character in it. Um, that, that was a good movie. Um, or Annihilation, another, another case of a, a novel by a man with some very, very good female characters. I think all the central characters are female. And that also, you know, as a movie, it has some issues, but, but, but it's a, you know, it's an almost all female cast. I mean, how often do you see that in a movie that is kind of sci-fi horror? I don't know if you would have the answer to this. Uh, are you seeing in the box office that there is a, a reduction in the turnout for movies that have strong female characters? Or are we seeing that that isn't really happening despite the studio's fears? That, I don't know. I mean, everybody cites Wonder Woman. Like, they, they were really afraid that that would flop. And it didn't, It you know, it was a huge hit. It's hard to, it's hard to say what, and Captain Marvel, I think, also did really well. So those movies may be kind of a watershed. I think you you just never know. I mean, Annihilation, for instance, did not do well, but that could be for all kinds of other reasons too. You know, it was it was a very niche sort of thing, very very cerebral. Whereas if you put a woman in a big superhero franchise, it seems that people will continue to show up. Um, those the, the the girl with the dragon tattoo movies or that's an example of something that did really well although i think it's it's kind of controversial you know is lisbeth salander really a strong female character I, I wasn't crazy about her but certainly you could you know she was a, a main character who you know did did some action stuff so there's that <laughs> <laughs> and those did well um i mean you see a lot oh sorry my minx is being talkative <laughs> Got stuff to say. I, I respect it's that. The, it's a sec. It's the second Zoom meeting I've done today, so <laughs> you're not used to my my being preoccupied this way. <laughs> if I were actually doing this from home, mine would be getting up on the desk and grabbing my hand, but our internet went out. So I'm You're paying attention to something else here. Come this way. <laughs> Yeah, well, you're great that way. <laughs> yeah. Well, have we talked your ear off, or or made you talk your yeah. ear? Uh, ears getting talked. Uh. <laughs> yes. Is there something you wanted to cover that we haven't covered? Um. Oh, I I I kind of, I was thinking like when I tried to when when I got the topic for this and I was trying to think back over the strong female characters that I have liked during my life. I noticed that a lot of them villains you know, when I was uh, when I was younger um, there there often weren't that many great female characters so I would I would um, home in on the the villains for instance in the miniseries V back in the 80s my sister and I both loved like the main alien Diana who, who was like a lizard in a human suit um, and she was just so deliciously in control of everything and evil and that we really enjoyed that. So I think that's one, you know, strong female characters can also be villains. And recently there's been sort of this move to reclaim them with things like the movie Maleficent, where it's like the, the evil fairy godmother, the evil fairy in um, Sleeping Beauty becomes the heroine. I wasn't crazy about that, but I think I like that movement that we can we can give these villains shadings as well. 
So that's, that's something that I've always kind of enjoyed, you know, mm-hmm. that that can be a the villainy can be a source of strength as well. <laughs> yeah. Well, villains are often villains because they break the rules, right? So there's an appeal to right. breaking the rules. They're also fun characters to play if you're acting. <laughs> oh, yeah. You don't get to use in real life. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they're so often the best characters. <laughs> right. Uh, have you seen the Jessica Jones? I think that was only streaming, right? That was Netflix. Yeah. Yeah, I liked that. That was that was good. And it was interesting because she was a superhero. She was strong, but she also was dealing with trauma. And that is, you know, in, in a kind in a pretty realistic way. So it was it was really nice to see that combination. I mean, I have to make a confession. I'm not really a superhero or a comics person. Like the only reason that I see these movies is that I have to review them. <laughs> <laughs> You've done a very fair job with that. You know, you can you can you can generally tell the the reviewers that really really don't like this this stuff at all um, because you know they beat the hell out of it. But you always been extremely fair, extremely reasonable. I, I appreciate that as a absolutely hopeless geek. No, I'm a geek too. It's just more, I'm more on the sci-fi horror side of the equation, but, but yeah, I mean, it's like a world that I've, I've sort of had to immerse myself into a little bit to a degree, but it really makes me happy to see superheroes getting more diverse and getting more interesting. And, you know, they can be different types of characters and not necessarily heroic, which would probably was always true in comics. But I think in the movies, it used to be more, homogeneous. It certainly hasn't always been true in the comics. (laughs) Well, and this year on on television anyways, we're getting our first uh, we're getting a a teenage Pakistani American Muslim superhero. So... Is that Ms. Marvel? Ms. Marvel. My my daughter is particularly excited about Ms. Marvel because she she has come of age in this era where all of this discussion is happening. I mean, when she first started using the internet, really, that's when Gamer gave her. Oh, wow. So, right. You know, that was her indoctrination into the way uh, women are treated in the world. And she's like, yeah, no, I'm not having that. <laughs> that seems yeah. to be true with her whole generation. <laughs> and so it, it's very interesting. You know, she's thrilled to have these characters that are strong female characters who aren't typical white, timid, and fitting into a very specific mold of what a female is supposed to be. So very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. The ingenue is what I get so tired of. Yes. (laughs) We don't need any more white ingenues, you know. Thanks again for listening to that blast from the past. Next time around, Jim and I will be back with um, something interesting. See you then.